Well, happy Mother's Day. Let's try that again. We'll have, let's have the mothers respond, okay? There's too many deep voices. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. That sounds much better. We're, we're glad you're here to worship with us and honor uh, the mothers here today. Now, every one of us has a mother. You see, there's no exceptions to that rule. Every mother has, has a child by definition. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, when a woman is giving birth, well, she's a mother. Uh, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so every mother has the privilege, which us dads just really don't know what it's all about, do we? Has the privilege of having a child grow inside of her for nine months and then delivering that baby into the world. Even though the birth process brings pain, there's great joy, uh, even for the dad, when the the baby comes out, and there he or she is. It's just an incredible experience. But today we want to, we want to honor all, all the mothers who are here among us today. So I, we want to thank you for all the love and sacrifice that you've given over the years for your children. And I'd like us to watch a short video uh, called Mother's Day Tribute about moms. All right, well, join with me as we're going to just... Have a brief prayer for the mothers in our church family. Father, today we thank you for the gift of mothers that, that have shown us wonderful examples of your love. Mothers who have shown the Father's love to us. And we're grateful to you for putting them in our lives and for the love and sacrifice that they've shown as they've raised us, uh, as they've been with us. We thank you for all the mothers who have taught their children about you, for all the mothers who have led their children to walk in your ways. And this morning, we ask that you bless each and every mother here, those who still have children at home and those whose children are grown up and starting homes of their own and those who have grandchildren. We pray that you bless every mother here as she continues to pray for, as they continue to seek for each of their children and grandchildren to walk in your ways. We pray that you'd encourage each and every one, even though times might be difficult, even though everything doesn't always go the way that they would like, we pray that you'd show them that they have great importance in your sight, that they have great importance in the welfare of their children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today I've entitled the message, A Mother's Legacy. This is the second message in our series on the book of Ruth called Rescued. Last Sunday, we set the background for the book of Ruth from the preceding book of Judges. And I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. If you have it there, it has the outline and the verses written out, as well as some study questions on the back that you can do on your own or in small group. The last verse in Judges 21 says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in the first verse in the book of Ruth, which is really the next verse in the Bible, says, in the days when the judges ruled. That's how Ruth begins. And so we see that the book of Ruth took place during the time of the judges in Israel's history. And that was the time between when Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land and the first king uh, was installed in Israel, which was King Saul, which we read about in the book of 1 Samuel. 
And so the last verse in the book of Judges summarizes the period of time of the judges. It's a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that's a good thing. But as we think about it a bit more, that's not so good at all. It's not a positive statement. The statement that everyone did what was right in their own eyes indicated that that culture had no standard of right and wrong. Each person became their own standard of what was right and wrong. And so that time of the judges has many parallels to our culture today in America. The culture of judges, and I would say the culture of much of our society today, is one of relative truth. Relative truth is where everyone does whatever they think is right. Two people may do the exact same thing. One person may think it's right. Another person may think it's wrong. And people who believe in relative truth will see absolutely no contradiction in that situation. Because you are doing what you feel is right. That's good for you. I'm doing what I feel is right. And that's good for me. But the Bible does not teach relative truth. The Bible teaches absolute truth. Absolute truth means that what the Bible teaches is true for all people of all time. What is right is always right, and what is wrong is always wrong. And so the Bible should be our standard of what is right and wrong. And the Bible, rightly interpreted, never changes. Now, even in times when people have abandoned God and, and served idols, as happened over and over again in the time of the judges, the Bible tells us that God always preserves a remnant of true believers. Romans 11:5, you can read the whole context here, says, So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so the book of Ruth is about a time, about the time of judges, and it's about a remnant that God had chosen to be true to him to carry on the faith, to carry out God's purposes in that dark time. And so today we're going to focus on one member of that remnant in the, in the book of Ruth. And her name was Naomi, a courageous mother. And we're going to look at a mother's legacy. What legacy does God want mothers to leave to their children? The first legacy that God wants mothers to leave to their children is strength and difficulty. Our story begins in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now, last week, we talked about how difficult life was in the time of the judges. The people of Israel would go through a cycle. They, they would abandon God and begin to worship idols for what they thought the idols would give them. That would not make God happy, and, and God would send his judgment and allow the people to experience different types of disaster, attack by enemies, and when that happened, the people were in distress. What did they do? Well, they called out to God. said, God, help us. We're in trouble. God would answer their prayers by sending them a judge to rescue them. Some of the more famous judges are Gideon and Samson. Would come and rescue them from their enemies. And things would be good for a short period of time. And then the people would abandon God and begin to worship idols again. And we see this cycle over and over again 13 times. In the book of Judges. And so Ruth 1.1. In the time when the judges ruled. There was a, a famine in the land. Now we're not told the cause of the famine. But famine was one of the ways. That God used to judge idolatry. We see it mentioned in Deuteronomy. As one of the judgments of God. And Why did God use famine? Well. If people are hungry. If people are starving. What do you think they're going to do? 
call out to God to save them. They would turn back to God. So God brings judgment to encourage people to seek him. And so our story begins not only in a difficult time, but in a serious situation. Difficult times lead to the need for strength and transition. It says, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And so because of the famine in Israel, Elimelech and his wife decided to leave Judah, which is part of Israel, and move to the neighboring country of Moab. Now this move was really highly unusual. This was not normally done. It was, we would say, outside of God's revealed will. The famine in Israel, as we said, was most likely due to God's judgment on Israel for abandoning him and worshiping idols. And what was God's expectation that his judgment would bring? That his people would turn to him, would call out in prayer, repent of their sin, and ask for deliverance. And God would answer. But rather than seeking God, Elimelech and his family moved out of Judah into the neighboring country of Moab. Now, this move was not like going to a different state in America, like moving from Missouri to Illinois, although there's some parallels there. But uh, Moab was a country adjacent to Israel that had an entirely different customs, and they worshipped an idol named Chemosh. And obviously at that time, Moab was not in famine. And so they moved there because there was food in Moab, but everything was different. It was a pagan land. Now the manner in which the move is recorded here in the book of Ruth indicates that Elimelech, now his name means my God is king, but it appears that Elimelech was the one who initiated the move. And so this was not really an ungodly transition, we can read into it, that now led to further difficulty. Now, in the book of Judges, we see all kinds of strange and ungodly behavior. And, and God doesn't say, this is wrong. You, you're supposed to figure it out from what you know, what is right and wrong, what the people did based on uh, the law and based on the rest of Scripture. And so, Naomi needed strength in transition, which may not have been in, of her own desire, but she was following her husband. And next, she needed strength in sorrow. Things went from bad to worse. Verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. They moved to Moab, and now her husband died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And so, following this famine, following this big move to Moab, which was really unprecedented, and finding a place to live and how to work in this foreign country. The next tragedy in Naomi's life was that her husband Elimelech died, leaving her a widow. Now, it's never easy to be a widow, but it was particularly, particularly vulnerable back then because in those days, the husband was always the breadwinner. And so a widow had no, no way to provide support for herself. And so she had to rely on the rest of her family for support. And who was that? It was her two sons. Now, her two sons did not go back to Israel, which was not that far away, probably less than 100 miles, to look for wives. 
they looked for wives among the Moabites, undoubtedly worshipers of idols. And so these marriages of Naomi's sons with the Moabite women were not blessed. They had no children for 10 years. And then worse than that, after 10 years, both of Naomi's sons die, leaving Naomi with no blood relatives living in a foreign land. So it seems clear that much of the responsibility for Naomi's difficulties lay in the choices of her husband Elimelech and her two sons, and perhaps with with little input from her. And so difficulties come into all of our lives, don't they? Sometimes they're unexpected transitions. Sometimes unexpected sorrows. Now sometimes from our own poor choices, but often through the choices of others or simply through circumstances. And yet as we're going to go on through this story, Naomi, though not perfect, she kept her faith in God. And we'll see that she didn't give up. She drew strength from the Lord. Although at times, her faith waned. But this morning, whatever you're going through as a mother, and I'm speaking primarily to mothers this morning, but of course these things apply to all of us. Whatever you're going through as a mother, look to God for your strength. Having difficulty with a husband, it might happen from time to time. Or with children, or with other relatives, or with other circumstances, God is still in control. And that's one of the wonderful lessons as we go through the book of Ruth. We're going to see that God is in control. Even when things seem completely out of control, God is arranging things. God is not surprised. God has a plan. And as we follow him, we're going to take part in that plan. And so God still loves you this morning, even though you're going through difficulty. And I'm not a mother, but I know every mother goes through difficulty with her children with her family in one way or another. God still loves you. He has a plan for your life. And keep your trust in him. Show his love to others that he's put in your life. A mother's legacy is to show this strength in times of difficulty. Not only that, but to demonstrate sacrificial love. Continue just in the sixth verse of the book of Ruth, but all kinds of things have already happened. Says then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And so somehow Naomi had learned that back in Judah, the famine was over. The Lord had answered the prayers of the people. He'd visited them. And crops were growing again. And so we have here our first indication that Naomi knows the Lord. She knows that he's a source of blessing. She knows that he's a source of sustenance. She knows that he's visited his people. And that language indicates in answer to prayer. And she wants to be there. Next we learn that she's developed a very close relationship with her two daughters-in-law. Now, this has gone on for at least 10 years. The sons were married to these women for 10 years, and maybe she knew them a little bit before that. She developed a very close relationship with these two women, Orpah and Ruth. All three of these women are now widows. The two 
younger women are widows as well as Naomi, who is an older widow. And so Naomi made the decision to return to the land of Judah. And she showed her love by taking her daughters-in-law along. And they obviously had a close relationship and admiration for her because they began to go with her on that trip. Now, Naomi's love for her daughters-in-law was demonstrated by some prayers of blessing. Verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, speaking of her sons, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And so somewhere on this trip back to Judah, they started the trip, but somewhere, perhaps before they crossed the border from Moab into Judah, Naomi had a discussion with her daughters-in-law. And she prayed, may the Lord, that's really a prayer, may the Lord treat you kindly. She prayed that the Lord would deal kindly with them. She prayed that the Lord would give them rest. She prayed that they would find a new husband. Now, leaving her daughters behind would mean that Naomi would return to Judah all alone, with nobody, with nothing, completely alone. But she wanted the best for her daughters-in-law. Her sacrificial love for them was demonstrated by putting others first. They said to her, no, we'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, you may become, that they may become your husbands? And so Naomi's daughters-in-law pleaded with her that they would go with her to Israel, to Judah. But Naomi did not want them to remain widows. She understood what it meant to be a widow in that day, in that age. And so she urged them to go back to their own people where they could find a husband. And so Naomi, in her own way, and we can quibble about whether that was the right thing to do, to send them back to Moab. But as we'll see, God had other plans. But Naomi was putting her daughters-in-law first. She was thinking about them and their needs to find a husband among their people. And we see also the depth of relationship that Naomi had built with her daughters-in-law. Right? What do we talk about mothers-in-law these days? You know, but this was a very close relationship between a mother-in-law and her daughters-in-law. She demonstrated sacrificial love to them over a period of at, at least 10 years. And so we see in this story Naomi demonstrating a, a, a deep love, not just for her own children, not just for her own sons, but for the spouses that they had married. Even though these spouses were from a pagan country that worshipped idols. And so part of the legacy that God desires each mother to leave is a legacy of sacrificial love. And that love is demonstrated first to her children and then to her grandchildren and to her children's spouses and to everyone else as God brings them into their lives. Now, demonstrating sacrificial love and loving those who perhaps are different than us is, is being like Jesus, is being Christ-like. That's what Christ did when he came from heaven to the earth. He showed a sacrificial love, laying down his life. And Naomi, in her own way, gave of herself to these two women raised in a pagan, idol-worshiping society. 
And so not only should a mother leave a, a legacy of strength and difficulty, a legacy of sacrificial love, but most importantly, she should leave a legacy of, of faith in God. Now, many things had gone wrong in Naomi's life, right? There was a famine, a big transition to a pagan country. Her husband died, and then on top of that, both of her sons died. I mean, this is really a tragic situation. A lot of things had come against her. And yet in the next few verses, we're going to see that Naomi had a, had a deep faith in God. And that faith had been passed on to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Verse 14, and Orpah, that's one of her daughters-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law, Naomi, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be buried. And so those are the most famous verses in all of Ruth. And they're amazing. Amazing words that Ruth spoke to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Not only does Ruth show a deep devotion and a deep love for her mother-in-law, she shows a deep devotion to the people of God. I mean, she was raised in Moab. Her family was there. And now she's saying, your people shall be my people. And most importantly, your God shall be my God. You see, Ruth was no longer an idol worshiper. She was no longer someone devoted to this idol, Chemosh. She was a worshiper of the one true God, the God of Israel, the creator God. Now, they're not just words. She was backing that up with action. She was going to leave her family. She was going to leave all of her relatives behind. She was going to leave her country, leave her gods. At one point, they must have been her gods. And journey with Naomi to a new country with her new faith. Now, we're not told, but how do you think that Ruth developed this faith in God? The answer is obvious. There was nobody else there in Moab that we are aware of. The answer was Naomi. Naomi passed her faith on to Ruth over a period of time, over the years. How? Through her words, through her actions, through her love, through her strength, the way she reacted to terrible tragedies coming into her life. She reacted in a godly way. Naomi's faith in God caused her to be remembered by others. So he continues in verse 19. So the two of them, that is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And so Naomi and Ruth continued their journey from Moab, came into Judah until they reached the town of Bethlehem, the very town that she had left with her husband Elimelech, over 10 years before. And yet after so much time had passed, 10 to 15 years, the women of the town remembered Naomi. Her life had made an impression on them, and she was welcomed back. Now, in the Hebrew language, the name Naomi means pleasant. But she wants now to be called Mara, which means in the Hebrew bitter. And so Naomi is understandably focused on her losses. She's focused on her 
pain, the loss of a husband, the loss of two sons, the difficulties in her life. And so we're going to see as we go on with the story that even though things seem very bleak now, coming back as a widow, God has been sovereignly at work to arrange circumstances for her life. God has some wonderful things in store for Naomi, and, and she's going to be blessed by God in a way she could never imagine. Verse 22, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, in the Hebrew, the Named Bethlehem means house of bread. There was no bread when they left, but when they came back, there was bread in the house. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. God had answered prayer. The harvest was coming. There was going to be food. Naomi's season of difficulty and sorrow was going to be turned around into a season of blessing. Beyond anything that she could imagine, blessing in her life and blessing that extends in effect, down to us today. Now, of course, to Naomi, her hometown of Bethlehem probably had no particular meaning to her. It's doubtful that she knew that one day the Messiah would be born, where? In the town of Bethlehem. And nor did she know of the part that she would play in preparing the way for the Messiah. Now, we're going to learn more about that as we go on in the book. Now, even though we see that Naomi's faith was shaken through this sequence of tragedies. It, it was not lost. And there are times when, when you as a mother are going to go through difficult times. There's a, there are times when your faith is going to be shaken. Times that bring tears. Times that bring sorrow. Times that bring true loss. And yet, even in those times, God is in control. God has gone on before you. God is working in ways that you cannot begin to imagine. And God is going to bring together the things to bring together the fulfillment of the wonderful plan that he has for you. And you have a part in that plan. And even the difficulties that he allows you to go through, he's, he's going to turn them around for blessing. The things that you thought made life hopeless He's going to turn around and bring hope in his way and in his time. And so this morning on, on Mother's Day, whatever you're going through, I can say beyond a shadow of doubt that God is with you. He has not abandoned you. It's in difficult times that the legacy of a mother is formed. In difficult times, God wants you to show strength. As you rely on him. God wants you as a mother to use that love that he's given you. To sacrificially love those that he's placed in your family. And those around. And the faith in God that you have in your heart. He wants you to share. With others. To pass that faith on. And even in times of transition. Even in times of sorrow. You will impact the lives of others. God wants you to pass your faith on to your children, to your grandchildren, your daughters-in-law, your sons-in-law. 
everyone that you can. And as you do, God's going to bless you. God will turn sorrow into joy as you work and walk with him. Now, this morning as we begin to look at the life of Ruth through the eyes of her mother-in-law, Naomi, we've seen that Ruth turned from worshiping idols to worshiping the one true God, to becoming a believer in God. A believer is somebody today after the cross, somebody today who believes in Jesus and what he, done, what he has done on the cross. Back then in the Old Testament, a believer was someone who believed in God and that the Messiah would one day come. We were looking forward to Jesus. Today we look back to what Jesus has done. To become a believer today, to become a Christian, you need to admit that you've done wrong, that you've sinned. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for your sins, rose from the dead three days later, Ask him to forgive you, to come into your life, and to commit your life to serving him as your Lord and Savior. So I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. If you're not sure that you're a believer this morning, if you're not sure that if, if you're not sure that you have eternal life, if you're not sure that if you would pass away today that you would go to heaven, I'd encourage you to pray with me. Perhaps you prayed in the past, but you feel things are a bit shaky between you and God. And Recommit your life to him this morning. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit, I've done wrong things. I've sinned. I've done things I, I knew were wrong. I repent. I turn away from those things. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. To pay the price for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead three days later. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I commit myself to serving you as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. Thank you for making me a new creation in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we thank you for your word. That tells us of ordinary people just like us. A woman who lived thousands of years ago named Naomi. Who believed in you and followed you in very, very difficult times. And this morning we pray for every mother here. That you would help each one to leave a, le a lasting legacy with her life for you. We pray that every mom would show strength in times of difficulty. Then when people would look at her, they would see, wow, there's something there. She's relying on God in this time of difficulty. We pray that every mom here would show sacrificial love, the love that only comes from heaven to her family, to those that you place in her life. And we pray that no matter what happens, every mother here would have an unshakable faith in God. That could never be shaken. A faith that she would pass on. We believe God that you are in control. That nothing happens that surprises you. And God because of that. We trust you. 
We know you love us. We know you have a wonderful plan for us to participate in. And we thank you that you have that plan for each and every mother here today. We thank you, God, that the work of every mother has eternal significance. Whether her children are still at home, whether their grandchildren, whether her children are, have started homes of their own, through her words, her actions, and her prayers, as she can have a great influence for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.